0: Topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now, welcome, integrative dietitian Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to the Naturally Nourished podcast. You are joining us at episode fifty-five, and today we are talking all about breastfeeding. Allie here, along with Becky. Hey, guys. And we are so excited to share tips on ways to support your body while breastfeeding as well as ways to support healthy production and a healthy relationship with you and your
2: baby. And this is all totally new territory for me. So it'll be really interesting to hear your perspective, Allie, especially now that Stella has weaned. We just really want to catch all of this information while it's fresh.
1: I know. It's so, flying by. Yeah. It's so crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let's start from the beginning. First, let's talk about some of the benefits of breastfeeding for baby.
1: Sure. So, I mean, I have a blog, I think, called uh, Nature's Perfect Food in in reference to breast milk because it really is it's the perfect blend of nutrition for the baby as far as macro and micronutrients go and beyond this there are distinct bioactive molecules so these are immunoglobulins and different compounds that mama makes for baby to protect against infection and inflammation as well as we're learning about bioactive compounds that support organ development and uh, even colonize the gut with good bacteria there's live viable probiotics And so from elements like lactoferrin and the immunoglobulins and what are called HMOs or human milk oligosaccharides, which we'll speak to in a moment, uh, and the probacteria, there are so many viable, delicate, and specific compounds that are found in breast milk that can really create nature's perfect food.
2: And we'll get into each of these as a separate nutritional focus, Um, but first let's also touch just on benefits for mom.
1: Yeah, well definitely I think the first one that people think of is the metabolic shift. You tend to burn an additional 500 to 800 calories a day while active breastfeeding, and so this is the best way for sure to support losing that baby weight. So that's a big plus one for mamas, and I think that's one of the big driving um, elements But more importantly, it can really help with hormonal rebound, especially in those first three days and then even the first four to six weeks. There's a huge influence because prolactin, which is stimulated by the sucking by baby, uh, actually helps to balance out our estrogen progesterone. It also helps to play a big role with our uterus. Um, And so there's a connection with oxytocin, which is also made by the pituitary in the brain. And oxytocin. Uh, plays a big role with enlarging the uh, milk ducts. And so this is a big element of actually allowing the milk ejection or release from the nipple and so this does have a feel-good bliss reward which can help to prevent postpartum depression and oxytocin again is also just like prolactin kind of stimulated by sucking but oxytocin is more related to the the release from the duct um but oxytocin also has been shown to support shrinking the uterus so the uterus really gets quite enlarged during that last trimester to inhabit the the baby growing baby of course and um the oxytocin plays a role in the contraction. Uh, This is why breastfeeding or like if you're really late 41, 42 weeks and looking to stimulate uh, your labor, often what will be recommended is nipple stimulation and that's that oxytocin connection because that can actually help to create contraction. But even postpartum, that contraction is what helps to bring your uterus back to size, which is going to help with reducing excessive bleeding after childbirth. Also will help with the hormonal rebound and just make you feel balanced in your body again, feel a little bit tighter in that region where we tend to feel a lot of dynamic tissue distress. So there is the hormonal element of prolactin and oxytocin and how that influences the uterus. But then there's also a reset on our progesterone to estrogen relationships and our sexual hormone balance. And then it goes without being said that there's a huge connection with the bonding. um, and, And this is the emotional, spiritual, which ties in, of course, the hormonal piece too. But we do see that there's a stronger innate connection or bond with breastfeeding mamas.
2: So starting that breastfeeding relationship is really important. Let's talk about that.
1: Yep. So, you know, for me, I would encourage you guys to listen to my birth story, which I think is uh we can put in the show notes the episode number but it's my third trimester and for those of you that aren't familiar i had uh, planned a water birth and ended up having an emergency (laughs) c-section not my plans but not going to go into that today um but even since, even with that being said uh Stella was in a full breach, and it was a planned emergency C-section. So I did have a little bit of time, and one of my biggest recommendations as far as establishing healthy breastfeeding is ensuring that you have awareness and accessibility during your birth and so when we're talking about even a c-section or you know a higher level medical intervention birth process as much awareness as possible so to do instead of you know general anesthesia to do regional Um, and then i specifically requested that they used my non-dominant arm for my iv so that i had my right arm free so that I could allow Stella that skin-to-skin um, contact and chest crawl, which was another request to have immediate chest-to-chest. So they actually did her Apgar testing, which is ch- testing for her viability, oxygenation, and all of those things um, while she was on my chest. And she got to do her natural crawl, um, which is really a beautiful process and, and really helped me emotionally to cope with having that C-section to, to do as, as natural as I could of a process. And, um, during that kind of crawling to find the, the milk source, if you will, uh, being able to have that access of my right arm was really helpful so that I, I felt like I could support her and touch her and, and be connected with her right away.
2: Awesome. And then let's talk about more tips just for establishing latch at first, I guess.
1: Yes, I know, you're like, these are turn what? Yep. (laughs) Flash question mark. Um, Yes. So the first one that I would say is relax, mamas. Relax, relax, relax. So stress is the number one reducer of breast milk production. And it can be this chicken and egg relationship with frustration, right? So mama's frustrated because she has limited output, and then she's stressed because she has limited output, she has limited output because she's stressed, and it just goes on and on and on. And so when you're starting the feeding process, taking deep breaths um, and helping you to connect with your baby, maybe reading or singing or humming before you uh, expose your breasts and go into a, a, a breastfeeding connection. It will maybe take away a little bit of that anticipatory distress, especially if you've been having difficulty with the latch. Um, because I can I can really, I know all of the processes as a new mama and um, how you're like, it's right there, just take it. Um, and of course, what you don't want to do is, is kind of wedge baby on, baby finding the the source is gonna be the best thing. And so allowing relaxation prior is gonna help a little bit with that let down and you know, the baby will also feel a little bit less overwhelmed because if baby's crying and you tense up and you're stressed, then you're gonna start lactating and then you're squirting milk at the baby's face and the baby's freaking out. And it's, it's just total, again, vicious cycle. Um, and so relaxation is really key. And that will also help baby to have a more controlled swallow. And this is really the the latch that kind of you were referencing, Becky, the latch is how their mouth um, kind of engulfs the nipple. And then the swallow is just Just as important um, in in order to really get a deep latch and so if the baby is stressed or having a difficult time really getting situated or positioned um, again rather than forcing their head like onto the nipple or or juxtapositioning um, you would want to allow that baby crawl and so what i'm mentioning again is allowing this skin-to-skin contact With baby on your chest and have the nipple, like you could start with even within six inches or within a foot and um it's it's innate um your baby will find the source you can even play with a little bit of expression where you manually express a little bit of milk and um, put that on baby's lip so they get that taste they kind of have that that awakening of senses of oh this is the good stuff that i'm trying to find um and and um that all comes though first and foremost with relaxation and positioning and allowing baby to find the source
2: Okay. And then beyond stress influence and, you know, getting relaxed, are there other ways to figure out how to get a deep latch? Let's talk about some of that.
1: Yes. So a shallow, or I call it the guppy feed, uh, can be so painful. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that's this like short um, pursed lips kind of sucking like you think of like a cartoon baby on a bottle Uh, a deep latch um, you can help your baby once the baby's found nipple by just kind of gently touching on baby's chin with your fingertip and that'll allow or encourage your baby to open their mouth deeper Um, so again you're not like forcing but you're just kind of tapping on the chin and this will allow kind of that disengagement in the jaw and a little bit of a deeper opening Um, you can also help to place your hand behind your nipple and um, or grasp your breast to provide more of like a mouthful for baby. So again, as baby's mouth is opening, Um, kind of providing especially if your nipples tend to be flatter and this is why some people then eventually go to use of something like a nipple shield but I would definitely recommend first trying just skin to skin because that can create some nipple confusion down the line Um, but basically trying to create a little bit more of a mouthful if you will (laughs) for your baby and be mindful if you're engorged so if your breasts are really dense and like really engorged with milk then that's only going to allow a shallow latch because it's like you're breasts feel like literally like a basketball of firmness, you know, and so you can't grab because it's so dense. And so uh, you may pump or manually express a little bit of milk or uh, try feeding after a hot shower, which will allow some of that density and uh, that engorgement to re- release, and that'll help baby to get a deeper latch. But uh, it really is this beautiful thing I would encourage for sure if you new mamas are listening and uh, and, and pregnant women, uh, d- try to view a friend that's breastfeeding and, and watch what that latch looks like or youtube it you literally it's a total different experience again that guppy feed is this like feed and the latch is this like gunk 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 and you can see these deep cheek swallows and like i said that helps significantly to reduce the not only pain and inflammation to the nipple but it helps to prevent things like mastitis and infection and makes for a much more successful relationship and more nourishment for baby too
2: this is all new territory, like I said, so I'm learning so much already.
1: You're like, um, what? Milk spraying baby yes. in the face?
2: <laughs> I guess it happens. I've got enough, you know, friends with new babies that I've seen it, just haven't experienced it myself.
1: Well, I think you uh, came over to my house like, what, like day three? Day, day three, day- yeah. Yeah, yeah. you were- out as soon as we could be and uh I remember uh Byron Becky's husband now was like oh whoa whoa so just like whipping it out <laughs> be, he's like should I be in here I was like uh you could just like turn your head for a second <laughs> yeah because at that point you're just like whatever I don't want anything to block this baby from latching when baby's hungry, we're just gonna do this thing <laughs> yeah so definitely get up in there uh with your girlfriends and observe because it can be a huge tip to know what you're looking to achieve with with a healthy deep latch
2: yeah and he's used to it by now we had two girlfriends with brand new babies over for dinner and literally we're both like hey is it cool if we just breastfeed at the table we're like yeah whatever Um, So I think this one is a little bit controversial, but let's talk about nipple alternatives a little bit and pacifiers and what your thoughts are here.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I alluded to the nipple shield, which absolutely, if that's where you're at and that's a need and everyone has different uh, anatomy, you know, so based on nipple shape, that could be a need and that could be an element of breastfeeding. But as I mentioned, it can create a little bit of nipple confusion and that's because the nipples on a pacifier or a bottle are perfect. You know, they're symmetrical. They, I mean, they're just perfect. <laughs> they're made in a factory. <laughs> and so the body just is not like that. And the, the concern is that, it can create nipple confusion or create resistance of baby to bond with your nipples if there's this anticipa- anticipation of the perfect synthetic nipple, if you will. So it can cause a little bit of protest or difficulty when feeding if introduced too early. But again, it's all good, better, best mamas. Uh, if, if you're someone that needs to incorporate pumped milk in a bottle early on, that's an okay thing. And and this whole idea is doing the steps that you can and nourishing and uh, supporting your baby and nourishing and supporting yourself. And so there should be no shame in the game. But if possible, I do recommend holding off on nipple alternatives, which would be bottles as well as pacifiers uh, first the first six weeks.
2: Okay. And then Allie, you went back to work at 10 weeks. So let's talk about how you balance pumping, direct feeding, and what some of your advice is for working moms.
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest anxiety that we all get is that... You know, we, we all anticipate and have probably heard, like I mentioned, that first recommendation of stress as playing an influence to your milk production. And so we all think like, oh, crap, we're going back to work. We're going to be stressed. We're going to like dry up and our baby's going to starve. And so uh, we all kind of get, at least I did, I got pretty obsessive about like filling my freezer with reserves. Like I'd feel really accomplished when I'd get two four ounce bags pumped and <laughs> write the date on with my Sharpie. And it's just like, yeah, I'm doing it. But I have found and I I've definitely went in conversation with friends and clients that you really want to be mindful of feeding your baby, not your freezer. <laughs> so you don't want to over pump because, you know, although that can give you that peace of mind of that, that liquid gold that you're creating, you're going to overproduce if you over and that can then lead to clogged ducts and that can lead to mastitis and the whole vicious cycle. And then also be mindful that your baby is the best calibrator for what you need to produce. So basically the rule of thumb should be for every bottle baby takes, you pump that equivalent. So for instance, uh, and then and then you can allow for as much direct breastfeeding as possible. So for instance, um, I would feed Stella at rise and then I would feed her one more time and then I'd go to work and she would get one uh she would actually make it that whole four hour block and then she'd meet me at the office and i was fortunate enough this is not a common i understand this scenario but brady was able to bring stella to the office so i was able to do a direct feed again so that was three direct feeds and then i would do a three o'clock uh, or three thirty, or four o'clock pump and he would give a bottle at that time from the day prior, the stores, and then I'd come home and I'd feed direct at 6.30. Sometimes if I had to work later, had a function, there'd be one more bottle, and if I missed pumping at that time, I'd come home pretty engorged and uncomfortable, and I'd hope that Stella was ready to feed, and then I would pump one more time that evening when Stella was sleeping. So regardless though, you kind of want to equivalent the amount of bottles provided, that that's the amount of times you pump, And be mindful if you're producing, like on some days if I would produce eight ounces and she'd only take a four ounce bottle, well, I just pumped two bottles worth, right? So you kinda wanna allow your body to recalibrate based on baby's demand versus filling that freezer. And it's really important because not only will you prevent overproduction and engorgement, you're also gonna keep your milk the most nourishing and the most relevant to the direct needs of baby. And so that's a really cool thing I think we'll talk about in a moment is how your breast milk adapts to baby's needs. And so the more direct feeding, the more saliva that your body takes in and then manufactures the good stuff that your baby needs in that moment.
2: Okay. So feed the baby, not the freezer. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit um, about mastitis and clogged ducts because I know this is a huge deterrent from breastfeeding or a reason that a lot of new moms stop.
1: Yeah, you know, and even as we are weaning, whether it's at a year or whatnot, I mean, most of the time, when I, uh, when Stella really was done, (laughs) she was like, I'm good, mama. Uh, But anyway, when she weaned, I didn't deal with it because my my production had slowed down. But if you have high production and low output, there's going to be engorgement. And um, the concern is that with the engorgement that the ducts get clogged and then we start to get infection based on bacteria changes and such. And so a couple things that I recommend, uh, one is taking warm showers and so like a warm shower daily and then massaging your breast tissue and wearing a supportive nursing bra that isn't too tight or restrictive. I remember the only time I got close to clogged ducts was if I would wear like a Lulu top, which doesn't seem that restrictive, but in the first couple months, it really was. It was too compacted. It was kind of flattening my breasts. And so like a sports bra top or anything that's too tight can cause that compaction and clogged ducts. And so I remember also after every hot shower, I would try to time it so it was time for Stella to feed because I would literally step out of the shower and be like dripping milk all over the bathroom. And then I'd be like, okay, hand me that baby. And I'd have coconut milk all over, coconut oil, excuse me. <laughs> coconut milk would be like really interesting. <laughs> it's got like really interesting. Okay, so I would always after the shower apply coconut oil direct to my nipples. And this is even if I knew Stella was going to be latching soon, and so she was introduced to coconut oil I think at like day 3 pretty much Um, and so I would apply coconut oil because it has natural antiviral and antimicrobial and antibacterial properties so it does help to both protect nipples from cracking as a a fatty acid but also prevents the mastitis as the natural antifungal components so it helps to prevent infection and then also Uh, just making sure that if you're not showering, you're definitely washing your breast daily and applying the coconut oil. And if you're dealing with actually getting engorged, uh, there's a little solution that I'll make sure we add in the show notes, which is uh, one to two teaspoons of sea salt in six ounces of hot water. And you soak a washcloth and you just kind of lean over the sink, uh, you know, topless, and you lean over the sink and just squeeze the washcloth over your breast. And uh, it allows a change in pH, which helps with the cleansing property, of course, if there is any bacterial infection. And yes, the idea of um, you know salt on an open wound may not sound good, but it is very soothing, actually, and it really helps to prevent mastitis. So that's something that I definitely recommend. And this is the time, mamas, when you're going to want to give baby a bottle because you'll look down at your nipples and be like, I don't know if this is safe. I don't think my baby should be latching onto this. Um, but know that breastfeeding is the number one solution to the problem and that baby will be the best vehicle to remove any backup or blockage. And also that saliva connection with your nipple is going to help your body to make more immunoglobulins to fight the bacteria and reset and repair your body.
2: Okay. So I think that's very encouraging and also really cool. (laughs) The body just, (laughs) respond like that. Um, so let's talk now about breast milk consumption. So I know colostrum is the first produced milk, and that's going to be really important in the you know initial couple of days. Um, so let's talk about colostrum and its makeup, and then let's also talk about how milk changes and what the composition is.
1: Sure. So colostrum is has been, I guess, is the best way to say, acknowledged as an essential element to prevent failure to thrive or an essential element to pr- to promote baby's optimal nutrition by the medical field for, for decades. And that's because in the first three days or so, this form of, of breast milk produced is richer in fat. It's richer in amino, immunological or immunoglobulin compounds. So I mentioned... Um, there's some things that actually are in breast milk higher even concentrated in colostrum that help to support lining the intestines for baby so um, compounds like secretory iga that help to prevent the concept of leaky gut so this helps baby to be less sensitive uh, to other food compounds and chemical compounds right away inoculating at day one also the iga can help with things like respiratory and all barriers even your cell membranes and your skin barriers to prevent against. Against invaders and prevent against things like eczema and dermatitis so the iga is really baby's inoculation of lining their immune system and supporting that immunological response that will help them in years to come on a barrier defense level uh, the colostrum is also going to be lower in lactose so it's lower in carbohydrates And it's primarily trophic, meaning that it's primarily supportive of uh, immune function and organ function versus nutritional composition. So it is though nutritionally going to be highest in fat and then these immunoglobulins. It also has things like epidermal growth factor, which helps with all of our um, epidermal tissue, right? So our tissue growth, which helps with um, growth and development. Um, It tends to be, this is kind of interesting too, uh, varied in levels of electrolytes. So sodium, chloride, and magnesium are higher, and then levels of potassium and calcium are lower in colostrum than in later milk. And this plays a big role with our tight junctions in our epithelial lining of our gut. So again, this whole concept of, it's kind of these like chemical channel closings on the leaky gut. And that ratio really helps to support integrity of the GI tract or less inflammatory response, which prevents inflammation and a decline with baby. And then also down the line, this helps as the lactose concentration increases, the baby to be less sensitive and supports the lactase enzyme production, which also comes active in the breast milk. So the breast milk has lactase enzyme with the lactose sugars. And then baby's gut is more set up with that epithelial supporter that or the, or the delicate tissue lining support to produce more of those brush border enzymes which includes the lactase um let's see any other fun nerdy stuff on colostrum so the composition in general of mature milk is going to be somewhere between three to five percent fat about eight to nine percent protein and six point six to seven percent carb, which is lactose, and then has a little bit of mineral influence. However, even with that said, um, the protein concentration is gonna be definitely higher in the colostrum than in mature milk, because we're really setting up that viability and thrive. And then it starts to transition, like I said, about three to five days, and then from five days to two weeks postpartum, we call that kind of transitional milk, and then we go into the mature milk. And by, by four to six weeks postpartum, we're at the fully mature milk. But even with this being said in these, these uh, distribution percents, uh, we actually have seen really interesting research that it, it does vary based on mama's diet a little bit, the carb protein and fat ratio of milk. But most babies are actually in some state of nutritional ketosis, um, from actually a little bit of a higher fat to carb relationship. And so I think that that's a really interesting thing to consider, um, especially when we were speaking to the uh, What the Health uh, podcast rebuttal to the the What the Health uh, documentary, and the need of protein in the diet, the need of fat in the diet, and that carbohydrates are not the primary fuel source necessarily.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing and, you know, speaks so much to the need for brain development as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, So let's get into talking a little bit more about the immune benefits. Um, So let's go back and... Can you explain what HMOs are, and also what probiotics are present in breast milk?
1: Yeah, so you know we talked about those immunoglobulins and all the element of of basically setting up baby to prevent leaky gut and uh, both with the channel locks of the electrolytes and that secretory IGA. But what works further is we're also inoculating baby with good bacteria and then the food to keep that good bacteria viable. And so HMOs, um, this stands for human milk oligosaccharides, and these are sugars, basically, or fermentable fibers, if you wanna think of it that way. They're prebiotics that range in, in length, and they, they differ in composition to any other mammal. And although they don't provide nutrition to the infant, they provide a huge quantitative element to the milk, and, and, and that plays a big role with working as a prebiotic to feed selectively the beneficial bacteria strains so the hmos work as a defense barrier for bad bacteria overgrow they actually are recognized as as the ability to bind pathogens and so they can actually bind bad bacteria if that tends to come into baby from their respiratory tract or from exposure from their mouth. God knows what your baby's putting in their mouth all the time, right? (laughs) When you're at different places. Um, And so the HMOs actually can help the immune system by being like a decoy and um, working for receptors for pathogens and then binding these pathogens or bad bacteria strains to keep them away from the delicate intestinal surface of the baby. And then beyond that, in a beneficial round, they also can feed the good strains. And the primary strains we see is the lactobacillus casei, raminis, and bifidobacterium.
2: Awesome. And then let's talk about um, the ultraflora baby supplement real quick. Yeah. I know you used that with Stella.
1: So yeah, I... I, I... Did And, um, you know, one of my biggest concerns, and I mean, I I had to mourn it for a day before just sucking it up and going forward um, with the C-section was that I was going to lose that vaginal inoculation, you know, and knowing the work that I do with children and teens and adults that have inflammatory bowel disease and autoimmune disease and knowing the research that you know correlates to the gut microbiome. And the first exposure to supporting that biome is the baby being birthed, birthed through the vaginal canal, and then secondarily, breastfeeding. And so I was praying and hoping that breastfeeding would be okay, and, and, and thank God it was, because that, that I think definitely set up Stella for a successful immune system. But I also did do uh, vaginal inoculation, and so I also talk about this in the natural C-section episode that we'll put in the show link, show notes. So we did uh, where we used a non-sterilized piece of gauze, and I inserted that vaginally. And then we used that to inoculate Stella by putting this on her mucous membranes, her in her mouth, in her nose, in her ears, in her eyes. Um, and we'll talk about the technique in that episode. But that was one way for me to kind of get ahead as far as doing what I could to mimic that loss of bacterial inoculation and then the other foreign insurance policy if you will was to start her immediately on the ultraflora baby probiotic and so this is a probiotic by metagenics uh, that i really like as far as the strains that are included in it and we started right away with the six drops and at uh, six no at at uh, excuse me nine weeks we bumped her up to 10 drops and now she's still on that same formula at 16 months, but we're giving her 12 drops.
2: Got it. And I'll link to that product as well in our show notes. Awesome. Uh, But beyond just the immune benefits, I know there are other unique properties in breast milk that formula just cannot come close to. Um, Let's talk about the research on endocannabinoids.
1: Endocannabinoids. Yes. So (laughs) this is super interesting and Um, It connects on a viral immune inflammatory as well as a survival mechanism. So I guess first explaining what endocannabinoids are, cell membranes in our body are equipped with these cannabinoid receptors. And so they can be activated by varied nutritive substances. So one we've talked about is amandamide, which is in uh, beef. Okay, and so it has, and that's why often if you have like a big old ribeye, I'm like salivating about to say it, (laughs) right? If you have like a big old ribeye, that amandamide binds to the cannabinoid receptors and it allows this kind of bliss factor, if you will, Okay. Well, cannabinoids have tons of different um, properties. So there are actual nutritive substances that can be in endocannabinoid compounds um, that can protect ourselves against viruses, as I mentioned, as well as bad bacteria and cancer and other malignancies. And this is the research that we're seeing on like CBD in the medical marijuana movement. But it's interesting to note that human breast milk is an abundant source of endocannabinoids and it plays a big role, this this type of neuromodulatory lipid in the breast milk that teaches the newborn baby how to eat and it basically stimulates their suckling process. Um, And so a couple of things, it it both helps, like I said, on a viral and cellular influence, but it also helps them to maintain hunger and bliss factor. So it gives them that feedback that this is the good stuff (laughs) as far as breast milk is concerned and that this stuff is going to make you feel good. And also that this stuff, in a way, it's kind of thinking of, Uh, the munchies and a newborn but it teaches that baby that this is what they want and it triggers hunger response and we've seen in failure to thrive research that this is a proposed mechanism of action that the endocannabinoids help to trigger hunger and that in turn promotes growth and development. So we've actually seen that helping not only for getting a deep latch and the sucking, but the hunger and connection as well as actual oral and motor musculature. There's a property within the CB1 receptor type um, that's been connected to supporting the oral motor musculature, the actual connection of that reflux of the sucking.
2: pretty wild yeah so baby's getting the munchies that's my second takeaway
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah pull quote oh gosh I yeah. don't know like mom of the year right yeah. um but what's so what's so interesting you know I, I as we opened with this concept of breast milk being nature's perfect food right it's so interesting on how we can never out science nature right and so it's like you know now formulas um are starting to have a little bit of Uh, colostrum added to them some brands uh, some brands which they're getting from dairy which isn't raw it's a little bit uh, pasteurized so probably not equivalent but they're getting some of the building blocks that are needed they're also starting to add prebiotic fibers like inulin which definitely works different than the hmos but it's a prebiotic and then they're starting to add probiotics to Uh, the formula. So it's like, you know, big pharma is is catching on to these things. I don't know, maybe it'll be three decades, maybe it'll be six decades, but maybe eventually there'll be a moderate amount of CBD in in formula as well for babies.
2: It's Pretty wild. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk, let's just go back real quick and talk about breastfeeding direct versus pumping. Cause I know there was a question that I had there. Um, you were talking about feeding the baby versus the freezer and how the milk actually, the composition is changing, you know, yes, based yes. on baby.
1: Okay. So this is so cool. So there was a study done, um, called changes in immunomodulatory constituents of human milk in response to active infection. And I have it linked in this, uh, blog that I wrote on The Nature's Perfect Food, and basically what it looked at was the milk produced by breastfeeding mothers would change in composition of the white blood cells, which is, you know, your immune system's natural army the tumor necrosis factor alpha, and then other immune modulators or regulators in response to infection of the baby. So if baby was starting to get croup or upper respiratory distress, or if a baby was having a pathogen in the, in the gut, um, the proposed mechanism was that the nipple of the mama actually vacuums the saliva of the infant. This is like so wild. I I, like just geek out on this. So the the nipple actually vacuums the saliva of the infant and – The mother's immune system then, like calculates, (laughs) takes in the saliva, determines the need of baby, and then adjusts and modulates the milk that's produced. And if needed, produces a product that's richer in immune-supporting compounds to help to to support baby's immune system. Like so crazy.
2: That's so totally wild and mind-blowing in so many ways. (laughs) Bananas. Yeah. Um, and now, so Allie, let's talk about moms who can't breastfeed and and what yeah. their best options are.
1: Yeah. So again, you know, that would be the idea going back to that saliva vacuuming of why, like you said, Becky, feeding the freezer isn't optimal because the freezer milk could be from two weeks prior or a week prior and may not help baby immediate in that need. And so what you're producing is very time specific, which is helpful to consider. Um, but yes, if there are uh, medications that mom needs to take and can't breastfeed and, you know, it's it has to be oxygen mask on mama first, especially when we're talking about things like postpartum depression which is not talked about enough and um, I definitely would encourage listeners to listen to our postpartum podcast I want to say that was like episode 46 but maybe not Um, and uh, that talks a lot about supporting your body and your nutrition and helping um, to support your body's milk production in some ways but if you're on a medication um, if you can't breastfeed donor milk would be the first best option Um, and so whether you have like a wet nurse or you work with Layla Leche or other donor banks in your area this would be the best because again there is just no way to mimic breast milk for all of these reasons um, and then the second option, as far as formulas are concerned, because some people just either aren't comfortable with using another woman's milk um, and or for whatever reason, they're not able to source it in their area. There is a, a formula called Whole or Holly. I'm not sure if, how you pronounce it, but it's spelled H-O-L-L-E. Um, and it's an organic formula from Germany and it's been the best one that I have found. And, um, when that's the only option, I I, I will work with that with a patient. And, um, if you guys are listening and have other ideas and want to share them, I'd love that. So message me, shoot me a link and I'd be happy to review.
2: Yeah. I recently stood in the formula aisle at Whole Foods just as a research project, I guess. I don't really know what I was doing there, but I I read every single container and I really didn't see anything that, you know, I guess good, better, best, like you said, but right. anything that would be even close to, you know, catching any of the benefits that we talked about Absolutely. today.
1: Absolutely. And, and so many, they all drive a some inflammatory compound in them, whether yeah. they're a soy based formula or they still have soy lecithin. And there's, of course, it's just like anything, it's, it's, it's a food like substance. And so you can get a good, better, best approach. Um, but, but breast is always best, for sure.
2: Yep, I don't think there was a single one that was soy-free, even at Whole Foods.
1: And, so. oh, I will, um, now, I think, I can't speak to this scenario for certain because it didn't happen, but let's say, I think that I would have played with, um, and I did have one client that did this, the, the Weston A. Price Yeah, formula. yeah, yeah. So that uses raw milk, um, but there is a different composition of goat and cow and human as far as carbohydrate chains uh, like sizes of milk sugars amounts of casein and all sorts of different things Um, but they do have a good foundation and it's pretty close they use um, like fermented cod liver oil egg yolk i believe And all sorts of fun things. And then I will be getting on the blog soon a supplemental uh, formula which would not replace an infant formula. And I'll state that very clearly. But as far as for weaning mamas, a nourishing um, homemade beverage for baby in a bottle if you desire to make. But this would not be until six to nine plus months out that you would use my formula. But the Weston A. Price formula, I believe, is suited for infant care. We could
2: put a link. To yeah, that. I've definitely read a lot about that. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and then let's go back and just talk about, Allie, some things that we can do to enhance healthy milk production or if you will make super milk
1: (laughs) super milk okay if it's not super enough I mean hey girl (laughs) um but yeah so the first thing we look at is uh DHA so this is a type of omega-3 and DHA plays a huge connection Um, so EPA and DHA are the two more uh kind of well researched components of the omega-3 family and DHA is connected to fetal brain development and cognition really in general. So DHA we use with uh, prevention of things like uh, Alzheimer's and also autism. So all the way through any cognitive brain function. Uh, This is something that I recommend supplementing with throughout your entire pregnancy, and I would recommend the EPA DHA Extra, which is our uh, naturally nourished supplement line, doing one at breakfast and two at bed or two at dinner, however you prefer those last two to come in. And then just as you get closer to your birth, You Especially if there is a C-section, you'd wanna be off of that for about five days, just because it does have some blood thinning effect. Or you could also reduce down to just one a day for the last two weeks leading into your labor. That's what I recommend patients to do. And then once you're postpartum, bumping that back up to the three a day. But that's gonna pass through the milk to baby and make for sure some super milk for uh, cognition and brain development. And then another thing to consider is a good quality multivitamin. And so you could stay on your prenatal. My favorite prenatal out there is the thorn prenatal, which is three a day. And that does have pretty high iron. It's at 65 milligrams of iron a day. And so if postpartum you're dealing with constipation and you didn't have a lot of uh, bleed out and you've seen your hematocrit and hemoglobin, your, your, uh, you're not anemic you know your hemoglobin hematocrit are regular then you could transition and i'd recommend to transition to our multi-defense with iron the multi-defense is a antioxidant rich uh, free radical scavenging multivitamin with all methylated forms of b vitamins so it has the methylcobalamin the methylfolate all of the bioavailable forms of your vitamins and minerals and helps the um, prevention of any influence from like a a reduction of methylation or those genetic influencers as well as gives us mineral density. So that's a really great foundation and it helps the production of a more mineral-rich milk. And then I also recommend a probiotic. So you could start with the Naturally Nourished Baseline Restore probiotic. And if you're having any GI distress, I, for the first six months postpartum, because my C-section, which you can hear about in that episode, was quite gnarly, uh, I was taking one of the Rebuild Spectrum probiotics and then one of the Targeted Strength probiotics every night for the first, I think it was six months, and then I still um, take those in rotation. So if you're dealing with constipation or distension and bloating, uh, definitely want to bump up your repertoire of probiotics and, and you could definitely incorporate probiotic rich foods too.
2: Awesome. And I'll link to all those products in our show notes as well. Um, and then let's lastly talk here about hind milk.
1: Yes. So hind milk is, you know, what, what, (laughs) <laughs> what is behind the milk? No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, One plus two equals three. Um, so hind milk is that, which is the, the kind of deepest back within the breast. And it's a kind of wives' tale or I think poor advice. And, and my mom was a labor and delivery nurse. And she would question me when I was breastfeeding like, oh, well, don't you want to rotate? You don't want to get compacted on that side. You should time and do 10 minutes on each breast. And I was on this school because of hind milk of I'll let Stella empty my breast. And when she, when it's empty, it's empty. And I'm gonna let her keep going at the right side if she's on the right side, because A, she has a latch. And in the first, I think six weeks, it was painful every time she latched. So it was like, she's on, I'm just letting her lock and load. But it was also because hind milk is more energy dense. It has higher lipid content. That's also an element that would drive baby deeper into using more ketones or, or brain fuel versus glucose or blood sugar. Um, which is gonna reduce their insulin demand as well in their body. So uh, hind milk tends to be higher in fat. It also, um, with it being higher in fat, helps to promote satiety and higher energy density, so more growth and development, better long sleeping cycles. Um, and it has been shown to, um, in research, support growth of premature pre- premature infants, excuse me. And so often that's that misnomer is, is the, the rotating to prevent mastitis. You gotta let baby empty breast and then, if you're getting really compacted on the other side, you can manually express a little bit. I wouldn't recommend full on pumping, otherwise, you're gonna keep again overproducing. So, what I did is I would wear a hair tie on my wrist and um because for the first like 2 weeks Brady and I kept a spiral where we literally like <laughs> feel like we were like a beautiful mind like we could like tape the things on the walls like with like our bloodshot <laughs> eyes and no sleep or it was like 917 right circle you know and then like 922 I w- we would do the start and the end time of the feeds and the the side of the you know, which breast she was on. And then we were also tracking bowel movements and urination and all the things. And then eventually I just got to the point where I did the hair tie thing where basically if she was feeding on the right, I would put the hair tie on my left. So I knew next time she was ready to feed. I would start on the left and then I'd switch to the right. And so that worked really well for me. You, know, you can kind of feel your breast, but sometimes one is more prone to being uh, engorged than the other. So you do want to rotate, but you don't want to rotate by the time. Let your baby tell you when they're done and let your baby empty your breast for the most nourishing milk.
2: And I like that hair tie trick because I'm sure new mamas are really sleep deprived and it's like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. Breast I definitely I had,
1: I had like a couple of like moments where I'd be like, Oh no, my hair is so annoying. I need to pull it back. But like, I don't think I can take this off my wrist. I'll have to just like figure out how to like braid and tie the end of my hair. <laughs> so yeah, oh my gosh. it was essential. <laughs> All
2: right. So finally here, let's talk about um, some food as medicine tips for breastfeeding. So I know we cover a lot of this in the postpartum episode, and that's episode 46 that we've been referencing. Um, but let's just quick knock out a couple of food as medicine tips.
1: Yes. Okay. So hydration is key. You know, you have to always keep a water bottle by you. I recommend if you're not drinking well, keep a water bottle with a straw. A lot of you, if you did a hospital birth, get those big, like, liter plus, you know, with the logo uh Cooler water bottles. Eventually, please trade to stainless steel or glass. But for the beginning, a straw can really help. You know, when you're just not feeling like moving around as much, get that water in because the water is essential for creating milk. You know, it's a liquid, right? So, optimal hydration is the first thing. And then, beyond that, protein and fat are essential to make nourishing milk and to help to keep you in rebound from the stress, the physiological stress of the birth process. So, Really looking at dense bites of foods, Um, incorporating my grass-fed whey into smoothies and shakes will really help to keep your protein above that 80 grams a day, which is what I want you getting during your pregnancy, but also postpartum. And then um, the fats like nut balls, grabbing nuts and seeds, homemade bars that you can send recipes for your friends to make from our cookbook or blog. All these will help as far as like those dense quick grab and go items.
2: And then we've got some blog recipes that could be helpful too. So, like water infusions, I'll link to. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, And then bone broth as well would be really helpful.
1: Absolutely. Bone broth would be awesome because it's going to help with electrolyte stability. It'll help you relax. It helps to restore and repair your gut and it gives you collagen and gelatin. So it helps to tighten up all that connective tissue mamas and help with your hair, nails and all that kind of regrowth. So that's a great one that I'd say daily. I I, I was sucking down two pints a day of bone broth for the first week uh, postpartum. And then um, another recipe that we'll definitely post for you guys is our lactation cookies, which feature a bunch of different ingredients that function as galactologues. So these are things that stimulate milk production and includes things like rolled oats. I think there's uh, nutritional yeast or brewer's yeast in there. And
2: yep. brewer's yeah. yeast. Yep.
1: Okay. Okay. And then yep. the, the oats also help with that. And then other foods in general um, are leafy greens. Like I said, nuts and seeds, so almonds, ginger, and garlic, and uh, chickpeas are another one. So we can link our crunchy chickpeas from the blog. That would be a great recipe to have uh, just to kind of snack on. And and they have, I think, olive oil or avocado oil as the fat on there, so a good balance um, and a good amount of support with that galactologue of the chickpea. And um, like I said, I think, I think really emphasizing the protein and fat is key and just eat when you can. I know in the beginning, I had some dynamic blood sugar fluctuations where um, when Stella would latch, there was this like immediate, I think there was a prolactin hit in my pituitary. Of course I like nerd out and process through (laughs) how this is happening, what's going on. But but there was some like blood sugar hit where I would go into like deep tunnel vision and almost feel like I was going to vomit. Um, and I would kind of like, she'd be latching. I'd be like, it's happening. It's happening. (laughs) And so I always had, um, we made a bunch of different nut balls that, um, brady would have by me that i would just kind of just start preemptively mowing until that first solid week and a half or two weeks until i felt that regulation and and got into my rhythm
2: awesome and i love the idea of sending these recipes to friends or family that could make them for you instead of having to make lactation cookies
1: yep and i mean there's nothing wrong with asking for sure for sure
2: And I love that uh, the lactation cookie recipe, my husband was all about it when I was developing that recipe and making them for a friend. It's like, <laughs> oh, I can eat these too. Am I going to lactate? Yeah.
1: Brady loved too. We did something very similar and had flax seed in it too. I think our lactation cookies do, right? On the blog. Um, yeah. flax helps as well. And yep. I remember Brady being like, am I going to grow man boobs? I was like, no, <laughs> you won't. I promise. But, but stop eating them. Stop eating them. Yep. <laughs> They're <Yep>. mine. <laughs> yeah.
2: Might gain a couple pounds there. A little high in fat. Right.
0: Um,
2: so I think we've gotten a lot of really good information into this episode. So lots on food as medicine, lots on the composition of milk and tips for healthy breastfeeding. Um, as well as talking about nipple confusion and all of these new (laughs) concepts to me that I'm going to have to review these show notes on my own. Um, But I hope this helps to clarify for our listeners and you can share with a friend or family member who is in need of intervention.
1: Yes. And my closing thought is you got this lady, stay present and focused and remember to breathe deep Uh, This is the greater good, and with relaxation, you will prevail. So you got this. Lock and load, ladies, and hopefully a couple tips you're able to apply, and um, baby will get the the beautiful benefits.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food-as-medicine meal plans.